Listen, do you ever look at things and you ask yourself the question, like, what's the point? You see something happen and it just doesn't make sense to you. Like here in South Africa, you guys have road rules, yes? And you have taxis. Like seriously, what's the point of road rules with taxis? I have yet to see one taxi ever obeying one road rule, ever. Sometimes you just look at stuff and you say, I don't get it. It doesn't make sense. What's the point? I heard about a convent, you know, like a nunnery, a big old house where religious ladies live. And they got sick of the fact that so many people would use their grounds as a shortcut to go through to the next street. And they decided they were going to stop this trespassing. So these nuns had a big sign erected and they placed it at the front of their property and it read, trespassing absolutely prohibited. Violators will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Signed, the Sisters of Mercy. I'm thinking, what's the point? I was in a shopping mall and there's one of the little jewellery kiosks in the middle of the area and I saw this sign which said, ears pierced while you wait. Now I'm thinking, is there any other way to do it? Like, like could you say, look, I don't have time to wait, can I just leave my, no, ears pierced while you wait. There is no other way to do it. I was down in the supermarket and I saw a sign which said, animals prohibited, guide dogs accepted. I think that's great. But I was wondering, who's meant to read it? Think about that one. <laughs> Look, sometimes things will happen in your life and you don't get the point. Maybe you've been working for the same boss for ages and doing really hard and you show up for work and you find you're retrenched and that's it. And you're thinking like, what's the point? Or you've made it into university and you've ended up in a course and now you're studying it, you realise you're not particularly interested in it. And you're thinking, why have I got to show up? Or you're at high school and there are some subjects you're made to study and you don't see the point of them at all. With me, that was mathematics. Now, primary school maths is fine. Add up, divide, multiply, subtract, fractions, percentages. But in the high school, the alphabet got involved. Like, I don't know why I need a logarithm in my life. I... I don't know what a sine or a cos or a tan will do for me or, or why I need algebra. Do you understand? I had to study this thing and I just didn't get the point. You know, it can get serious sometimes. Like when bad things happen. Like as an 11-year-old, I buried my father. And as an 11-year-old boy, I'm thinking, God, like, like what are you doing? It's not, not meant to work this way. I remember some 20 years ago when... Karen got the medical news that she had breast cancer and there were a number of surgeries that followed from that and I remember saying God what are you doing like that just doesn't make sense and if bad stuff happens in your life you might be wondering God why why have you let this happen why have you sent me simply left me here well that's not a bad question like, why has God left you here? 
Like, why are you here? Can I ask you that? Why are you here? Now, I don't mean why are you in this building at this particular time. I mean, why are you on the planet anyway? And you understand that so many people go through their life never understanding there is a purpose to their life. I've heard it said that the two most important days in your life is number one, the day you are born, and number two, the day you work out why. And seriously, so many of us know exactly when our birthday is, but for many of us, we simply don't know why this life exists. I work with teenagers. They've got to be the most wonderful people on the planet. And it's so sad to see someone in their teens with the world ahead of them does not understand that they have a purpose of any sort and they do destructive things and they send their life on a downhill slope and sometimes they just give up. Because if you've got no purpose for the future, you've got no power in the present. Like, like, wouldn't it be good to know what the purpose of your life is? Because when you understand the purpose, you can deal with the tough things that come your way. Now, I've been through childbirth twice. I've, I was there for both of my children's birth. And, you know, I don't know what all the fuss is about. I actually was quite relaxed and cool. It was a pretty cruisy experience, really. Honey, how did you find it? <laughs> Do you understand a woman goes through the trauma, the pain, the agony of childbirth because she knows there's a purpose for it. There, there is a miracle about to happen. A brand new life is about to be brought in. When you understand the purpose, then you're able to handle the rough stuff. Come on, if there's an exam result you're after and that exam result will open the pathway to your future, you will put up with the stupid exams that you've got to write because you know the result is worth it. If you homeowners have ever started some home renovations and lived in the house while you've done it, you put up with outer chaos in your house for six months or so because you've got the architect's plan of what the finished product will look like. Now, wouldn't it be great for you in whatever you've got to deal with right at the moment to have that architect's plan right in front of you? Because I want to assure you that you have been designed by God to live as his person on this planet you know that you were born, wouldn't it be brilliant if tonight from God's word, maybe for the first time, you realised why you were born? Can I take you to my favourite verse in the whole Bible? And in one verse of my prayer is that tonight you will see what God has planned for you and you'll embrace it with both hands and run at a million miles an hour for the rest of your life knowing that God planned you with a purpose. Does that sound good? Open your Bibles. We are in Romans. That's my favorite book. We are in chapter 8. That is my favorite chapter. And we're starting at verse 28, which is not the verse I want to take you to. This is the lead-in verse, so we get the context for verse 29, which is where I'm heading. First major heading here, God is working for my good. Can I read Romans 8.28? Here we go. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Just a few quick points through 
this verse. The first one, God is working in all things in your life. And being that sort of Bible student I am, I wanted to find out the real meaning of the Greek word which is translated all. And can you guess what it really means? It actually means all. I looked it up a bit further. It means all, every, all kinds, all respects, all things, entire, every form, every kind, every respect, every way, everything. That means no matter what happens in your life, every single thing that happens, God will work through that to do something for your good. The good stuff that happens to you and the difficult stuff that happens to you, not one thing will escape his attention. God is working in all things. Secondly, God is working for my good. There's a benefit God's going to bring out of stuff. Now... If you've been treated badly, if people have abused you or belittled you or humiliated you, if people have wreaked evil against you, you might be thinking, like, how can God bring something good out of something which is so evil? Can you think of any incident in the Bible where something evil happened and God produced magnificent good from it. Because I'm thinking surely the most evil act of history is that the Son of God, the Lord of life, is butchered on a Roman cross. That creatures crucify their hope and their future and their Lord and Jesus, the Son of God, is, is butchered to death in a cruel and horrible way. That surely is one of the most evil acts in history. And yet when we remember that day, we don't call it Bad Friday. We call it Good Friday because God took the most evil act of history to produce amazing good because on that cross, Jesus is dying for your sins. Jesus is lifting your guilt away. Jesus is opening the gates of heaven. Jesus is saying, I'm taking your punishment and God used something that was evil to produce the most amazing good. And the third thing to mention is simply that God is working for his purpose. Now, have you worked out nothing is created without a purpose? In my hand, I hold an engineering masterpiece. This is a paperclip. Small and insignificant, but you understand the paperclip has a purpose. Because if it didn't have a purpose, it wouldn't be created. No manufacturer is going to put time and energy into cracking these things out if there's no purpose to it. You have been created by God and he has given you a purpose, a purpose that will override everything else and give you satisfaction and achievement the whole of your life. So what is one verse in the Bible that will tell you what your purpose is? Can you believe it's the very next verse? This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Are you ready? So, second major heading, this is God's plan for my life. Romans 8, 29. Here, and as I read this, this is all you've got to understand. One verse. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Make sense? How about we unpack it 
one step at a time. Are you ready for this? If you're taking notes, put this down. Firstly, verse 29, those whom God foreknew. Now, what does it mean to foreknow something? I guess you know about it before it happens. By the way, God knew about you before your life had even started. But you understand further that when you see the word know in the Bible, it's got a much deeper meaning than just know about. Now, can I just check, as there is a certain football competition happening in France at the moment, um, are there any great rugby fans here? You didn't take the week off church so you could stay home and watch some game at home. Is anyone here actually into rugby? Who's a, who's a box fan? Just, just wave at me. Okay. Uh, uh, Josh, you're a box fan? Um, uh, you, you know Sir Khaleesi, the captain? Uh, you know Sir Khaleesi, the captain, but do you have a great friendship with him? Like, can you just bowl up around to his house, knock on the door and say, hey, Sia, I just thought I'd come in and have a cuppa with you. Do you understand? We all know Sia Khaleesi's the captain, but do we actually know him? Do we have a relationship? When the Bible says the word know and God knows you, it's not just that he knows about you. He knows you deeply. He knows you intimately. He's the sort of guy that you could go to Jesus's door and knock on it and say, how about we have a cuppa? And he knows you by name and he calls you in. Can I show you something from the prophet Amos? And I've gone to the ESV here because it translates words the way the original Hebrew said, even if the word is old-fashioned in English. Amos 3.2, God says about his nation of Israel, his ancient people, you only, Israel, have I known of all the families on the earth. Can you just think about that? God says to the, the ancient nation of Israel, you only have I known. Does that mean God didn't realise there were other nations? Does that mean that God doesn't know about any other country? No. He's saying, you only have I chosen. That's the word that most modern translations will go through. That when God knows you, he loves you, he cares for you, he loves you in a special and intimate way. God knows you means God has chosen you to be his and has his arms around you to walk for eternity with you. That's what it means when God foreknows you. So what does it mean when God foreknows you? It means God has chosen you to be his even before you first thought of it. And if you're in Christ tonight, that describes you. So, when did God choose you? Paul, in another letter, when he writes to the Ephesians, he explains it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For God chose us in Jesus when? Before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Tonight, if you know you're with Jesus, if you know you're in a living relationship with him, that you've submitted to him and every day you're walking with him, God chose you to have that relationship before the creation of the world. Like seriously, this is absolutely amazing stuff. It gets deeper though 
So, what did God do for those whom he foreknew? Let's read on. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. Now, as those words come out of my mouth, some of you are shuddering in fear. I heard from someone at this church that they've always was taught that predestination is one of those big, ugly monsters in the Bible, and the less you think about it, the happier you are. But I want to show you that predestination is an ordinary, everyday thing. It happens day in, day out here in Cape Town. And if it didn't, if it didn't happen every day, our life would be in chaos. I live in Century City. Just behind where we live is the Century City bus terminal and taxi rank. Let's imagine I want to get a My City bus and come out here to the centre of the universe, table view. Now, it's a big bus station. There's lots of different stands. There's probably six different My City buses in there at any point. How do I know which bus is going to take me to Tableview? How do I work that out? Otherwise, I'll get on the wrong bus and go the wrong place. Come on, you know how that works. There's a destination on the front of the bus. I look for the one that says Tableview, off we go. Now... That destination of table view, when was that decided? Does the driver make a decision at every intersection? He comes up to one intersection and thinks, oh, I think I'll turn left. Or does he think, oh, I'd like to go to the beach today. Let's go. Does the driver make that destination up at every intersection? When, when is that destination decided? Yeah, before it even left the depot. My city buses are predestined. Do you understand that? The destination is put on them before they start their journey. Now, we need to admit, folks, my city bus predestination is not perfect. <laughs> Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes the bus breaks down. Sometimes the driver really does make a wrong choice. Sometimes they're attacked with rocks and guns. You understand their predestination is not perfect, but it simply means you put a destination on the bus even before it starts its journey. God is saying that those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. God put a destination on you before you started your journey and if you belong to Jesus, this is true of you. So we're going to check now, what is the destination that God placed on you before you started your journey? Romans 8, 29, here we go. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. I've just jumped a slide. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. Now, what does it mean to be conformed? How do we use that word in normal language? It means that one thing puts pressure on another thing and changes its shape. So, work with me. If you're taking notes, I just want to get you to stop. Put your Bible down. You need both hands free. So, got your hands ready? I want you, um, between your hands, you've got some Play-Doh, you know, like little kids have, and I want you just to mould it into a nice little, little ball, so about the size of a tennis ball. That's it, just work it around, make it into a nice little tennis ball, okay? You got that? Okay. Stick it in your... Um, yeah, stick it in your right hand. Stick it in your right hand. Now, here we go. We can do this. 
Got, got, got the ball in your right hand? With your, with your left hand, I want you to pick that ball up and squeeze it really, 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 really tight. Let go. What shape is the Play-Doh now? It's shaped exactly like your hand. Do you understand the Play-Doh has conformed to the shape of your hand? And when things conform, the thing that is weaker conforms to the shape of something that is stronger. That's why the Bible warns us about being conformed to the world, letting peer pressure dictate what we do, because we let something else become stronger, and then we get shaped to look like everybody else. But God is saying, no, I want you guys to be conformed. If you became a Christian thinking you weren't going to change for the rest of your life, you missed something. Becoming a Christian means you're saying, God, remake me, remould me, reshape me, keep making me more the way you want. And that happens your entire life. It's still happening for me. So the good that God is working in your life, the good that he foreknew you, the good that he predestined you is to be conformed to something. So what is it that God is conforming you to through everything that happens? Back to Romans 8.29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you understand if you belong to Jesus, his Holy Spirit is conforming you, changing you to be more and more like Jesus every day. God squeezes you up against Jesus with his arms wrapped around you so that you start to take on the shape that Jesus wants you to have. You start to pick up his characteristics. You start to become less like the sinful you and more like the perfect Jesus. Now, can I confess to you, that can sometimes be a little painful. If you've got some rough bits in your Christian life, you know, sins that you're hanging on to, things that you don't want to surrender to him. It can be a little bit painful as Jesus smooths those rough edges and conforms you to it. But can you see what God is doing in your life? That those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that you get to become the man or woman that God has planned for you. Now, next question. Why? Why is God working at everything to change you to be more like Jesus? And this gives you a purpose that the world will never give you. If you can get this bit, then I believe the way you live for Jesus will be transformed because you'll suddenly see why it all matters. Why is God conforming you? Back to verse 29. Those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, so that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what does it mean to be firstborn? Well, the way we normally understand it, it's the first one out of the womb. So let's just check. Put your hand up if in your generation you're actually the firstborn child. Just all the firstborns, just keep, keep your hands up, wave at me. Yeah, all the firstborns 
And by the way, can I just acknowledge you guys? Um, uh, you got all the discipline that your parents didn't have any energy to put on the second child. Um, you had got all the responsibility for all the younger kids and uh, you were also the victim of all your parents' experiments in their parenting philosophy. Can I just say, we feel your pain, firstborns. But when the Bible uses the term firstborn, it's a technical word. It usually is the first one who's born. But the firstborn in the Bible means the firstborn privileges. Now, for all of you who just put your hands up, you're wishing this was still in place. The firstborn would get the bulk of the parents' inheritance and the firstborn would take over the estate of their parents and continue in their name. It was a position of great honour, a position which brought great wealth with it. And normally the firstborn privilege goes to the actual firstborn. So can anyone think of an incident in the Bible where the firstborn privilege was actually to the secondborn? Who was paying attention in Sunday school? You got it? Okay, who are we, who are we talking about? Yeah. Um, because the first of all, if, if there are firstborn privileges there, it goes probably to Seth, doesn't it? Like Seth is the one that the line of David comes through. I was thinking of um, Isaac's twins, Jacob and Esau. Do you remember them? Some of you saying, who? Okay. They were twins. Who comes out first? Esau. Esau gets, he is the firstborn, he gets the firstborn privileges. But does he care about them? Does he care about his God? No. He's got a slightly younger brother who's very conniving. He's got a younger brother who is a con artist of the, of the finest degree. Jacob wormed his way in and out of every situation in life and swindled everybody to get his way. And so he sees his older brother looking very hungry one day and knowing that his brother doesn't value the things of God, he gets Esau to sell him his firstborn privileges for one Big Mac value meal. And you understand the firstborn privileges are now on Jacob, who is actually the secondborn. So when the Bible talks about Jesus being the firstborn, they're not talking about the first one ever born. They're talking about the place of honour in the family. And see, God has chosen you for this reason, to keep becoming more and more like Jesus so that Jesus is more and more honoured. That is your purpose in life. Using the Romans 8.29 words, when you live your life in a way that brings glory to Jesus, he is seen by everybody else to have the firstborn privileges. That is, Jesus has the place of honour in your life and he has the place of honour in our universe. Every time you allow God to change you to be more like Jesus, Jesus is honoured. And every time you resist God changing you and you don't want to become more like Jesus, Jesus is dishonoured. And that is your purpose for living. That God will use everything that he foreknew you, he predestined you, he's conforming you to the image of his son so that when people look at your life, they see the glory of Jesus. Can, can you imagine that? Like, uh, let's pick on someone. Why is there a Lunico in the world? Why is there an eco in the world? <laughs> Many of us have been wondering. 
Why is there an echo? Because God believes that more glory will be brought to his name because you exist than if you didn't exist. Does that bit make sense? Why are you in this world? Because God believes more glory will be brought to his name because you exist than if you'd never existed. And that gives you a purpose and a reason for living. Because have you worked out, if people are being conformed to be like somebody, who gets the honour? It's the person that they're conforming to be like. Let's imagine we all decided to, being loyal South Africans, show up to church all with the Sia Khaleesi replica Springboks jersey on. Let's imagine we all came in with Sia's jersey on because we love Sia. Who is honoured when we do that? Not us. Sia Khaleesi is because we're all conforming to be like him. In, I don't know if this happens here in the Republic of South Africa, but in that island nation I come from, every year in a country town, there's an Elvis festival. And people from all over the world come to relive Elvis's glory days. <laughs> there are some millennials saying, who's Elvis? Okay. And they have a special train. Karen, you know this train. Starts at Central Station, it goes to Parks. It's a six-hour train journey. And it's a private train, 3,000 people all dressed like Elvis. You've got these big fat guys in these really tight white jumpsuits. 3,000 of them go on this. Now, who is honoured because of that? It's not the fat guys in the white jumpsuits. Elvis is honoured because all these people are being conformed to be like him. When we get changed by God's spirit to be just like Jesus, Jesus gets the honour and that's God's plan for your life. Come on, that's your purpose. That everything that happens to you, even the rough stuff, God will use that for your good to shape you to be more like his son and the reason that God is doing that is that his son Jesus will be seen to have place of honour over all creation. That's why you exist. And can I just point out quickly, um, God's not giving up. I'm going to stray to the next verse so I can just only give it a moment. But let's just see that God's not given up on you at this point. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. God is not giving up on you. If you've been predestined by God, you are also called by God, you are justified by God, you are glorified by God. That means the work that God has started in you, he will bring it through to completion all the day to the day you are glorified with him in, in heaven forever. God's purpose for your life. He has chosen you to keep becoming more and more like Jesus so that Jesus is more and more honoured. And every bit of God's master plan applies to, to you the day you say yes to Jesus. When I was a kid, teenager, it was a church-going family. Always got dragged along to church and we sang the songs, we said our prayers, we kept quiet all the right places and went home. It didn't seem to mean much, but I knew that God was there. I knew the Bible was true. But I was just trying to be good. I just wanted to impress God with how good I was. I'd try and think, okay, there's 10 commandments. Surely I can get all 10 right this week. And guess what? Like I failed continuously. I knew that if I got that far, 
what God really wanted was way more than that. And I was weighed down by my guilt. I felt ashamed of my failures. And I knew I was never, ever good enough. But there was a day as a 19-year-old sitting up at the back of a youth camp where it was like the preacher was only talking to me, like there are hundreds of people in the room. It was like the preacher's words were just cutting through for me because on that day, God opened my eyes to see what Jesus had done on that cross, how he had died for me and taken all my sins and taken all my failures and taken all my guilt and taken all my punishment, taken all my hell and lifted it totally from me, given me his spirit and now as a resurrected Lord, he gave me eternal life. And that happened Easter Sunday, 1973, where I bowed before Jesus to say, you're not just a hobby, you're not just an interest, you're my Lord and I'm never letting go. 50 years later, every day, I'm still bowing before Jesus to say, Jesus, you're not an interest, you're not a hobby, you are my Lord. And I'm just wondering if there's anyone here who's never taken that step. Like seriously, you can come to church and enjoy it and love singing the songs, but never actually take the step to say, Jesus, I am submitting to your Lordship. I'm going to be your person. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising for me. I am your man or woman, no matter what happens. Like seriously, you can join in everything. You can go to a life group. You can go and get water baptized and you can say all the words, but deep down you've, you've held back. Deep down you've just gone along with what the people are doing. And I'm wondering if that is you. I want to give you an opportunity to say, well, listen, tonight that changes. Tonight I want to give my life to Jesus and to mean it, to actually say, Jesus, I'm with you and I'm never going to leave you. Now, maybe you made a sort of commitment when you were younger, but you, you just didn't stick at it. Like you tried, it was too difficult. You're just on the point of giving up. Or maybe you've heard these words for the very first time. But if you know that tonight God's hand is on your shoulder saying, tonight I want you to make that commitment and to be my person the rest of your days, um, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to do maybe the bravest thing you've ever done in your life. It's to simply, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to say, that's my decision tonight. Now, if you're quietly thinking, won't everybody see me? The answer is yes, that's the whole idea. We're witnesses that tonight there's a decision going on which will change you. And if you're worried what everyone's going to think, if that's really important to you, that might mean you're not quite ready to become a Christian yet because you've got to worry about what God thinks of you. So in a moment when I ask you to stand, that's not an invitation for the whole congregation to stand. If you love Jesus and you're powering on with him, uh, please stay seated. This is only for people who are saying, tonight things change. I've been going the wrong way Tonight, I'm changing that. And don't stand up because you think we'll be impressed with you. Um, God is never impressed if people are pretending. But if you want to say, congregation, tonight, I've worked out the purpose that you've given to me. I want to be with Jesus no matter what. 
tonight my life is changing and you are all witnesses. I'm going to count to three and I simply want you to stand exactly where you are the moment I say the word three. It doesn't matter to me if there's 50 or there's zero. This is only for those who absolutely are making a commitment to Jesus. If you want to become a Christian and enter into all that purpose that we just had a look at, I want you to stand on the count of three. It's one, two, three. If that's you, just stand up now to say, this is the commitment that I am making tonight. Thank you, guys. Just stay, just stay standing for a moment. If anyone else wants to join them, just do it right now. What all I want to do now is pray. Pray for you guys. I'm wondering if you're sitting near these people at the moment or if you actually know one of them, race over and stand around them. Put your hands out towards them. Stand, stand with them. Come, gather around them. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Just make sure they're covered by people who are near them or people who know them. And we're just going to pray for you. If someone is standing right near where you are, turn around, reach your hands out and pray for them. Can I pray for those brave people who just made a life-changing decision? Let's pray. Oh, Father God, thank you that you have not left us alone. Thank you that you have not given us a life without purpose. Thank you that in you we have a genuine purpose to honour your Son. I pray for each person who's taking this step. I ask that you surround them with Christians. I ask that you will fill them with your Spirit. And I ask that the seed that has been planted tonight, they will persevere with that no matter what. Father, thank you that tonight we are welcoming new sons and daughters into your family. Help us to be a congregation that loves them, that cheers for them and walks with them the whole way. Amen. Can we just have everybody standing now? For those people who just stood up, can I just say to you, don't leave it like that. Make sure you do something tonight. The people who just prayed with you, the person who brought you, find each other Go to the first steps desk. Bring them along with you. If you know them, bring them to something where they can grow. Uh, put your name down for baptism. It's happening in another week. Um, that would be fantastic. Don't just make the decision now and do nothing. Decide today that you're going to be with Jesus no matter what.